Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a study of the book of Colossians. Please, if you haven't already done so, grab a Bible and turn in the New Testament to the book of Colossians and, and be ready to study with me, with us tonight. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter one. And in this chapter, we will again be reminded of essentially what is the theme of the entire little book. Jesus is not just important. Jesus is the most important. Jesus is preeminent. There is nothing, there is nobody that should take the place of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. That will be the focus. Jesus will be the focus of our study tonight and the next few Wednesday nights as we proceed together through the amazing book of Colossians. Again, I want to welcome you to our study this evening. Before we begin, I want to ask you not just to please get a Bible, but also, if you would, please hit the share button and allow your other Facebook family, your Facebook friends, to know that they can come to this place right now and study with us the Word of God. Also, I would like to ask you to consider getting a pen and a piece of paper and making some notes of some of these things that we shall observe together tonight. Now, before we begin our study, would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together this evening with special people to pray and to study. Help us, Father, to study great truths from Colossians chapter one that will bless our lives and that will better equip us to be blessings to others. Thank you for Paul who wrote this book. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write the things he did. Thank you for Jesus, who is obviously the star of our entire Bible, but especially the book of Colossians. Thank you that Jesus is truly first, tops, best, most important, supreme, preeminent to anything and everybody. Help him to be first in our hearts, first in our lives, every day, everywhere, around everybody. Bless us now, God, as we study your word. In Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles handy, and also if you have other people in your house, if you would please, encourage them to come now and study with us these words. This is Colossians chapter one, beginning with verse one. By the way, last Wednesday, we had our introduction together to this great book. And if you missed that, it is still here on our church Facebook page. You can go back and watch this and kind of be caught up to speed on the things that uh, we mentioned last week that will help us maybe to have a better idea of the context, the circumstances around the writing of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter one now, beginning verse one, Paul. With the first word there, the apostle identifies himself as the author of this book. He also tells something of himself with the next phrase. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is one who is sent. And Paul, as we know, was sent by Jesus in many places with the precious gospel of Christ. Paul also tells us that not only is he an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he tells us how this came to be, that he would be an apostle. He says here, by the will of God, this is something that God did. This is something that God chose. Of course, Paul cooperated with the decision, but it is Paul 
that was put here by the Heavenly Father. God has placed Paul in a particular place of unique leadership and service in the kingdom. And not only has God done this with Paul, God has done this with each of us. Maybe you're familiar with the phrase, bloom where you are planted. Well, we've all been planted somewhere. We've all been put in a particular place because God knows that this is the place we need to be so that we can reach our fullest potential as his servants in his church. So let us all do the best we can to bloom where we are planted, to be the biggest and the best of possible blessings here where we are. We're here where we are for the time that we're here for a particular purpose. And that purpose is to glorify our Heavenly Father through loving Him and through serving His children that He has made and put into our lives to be blessings too. So in a sense, aren't we all apostles? Not in the way that Paul was and Peter and some of the others, but we're all apostles in the sense that we have been sent by God. We've been placed by God in certain places to get good things done. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And then he says, and Timothy, our brother. By the way, in the way he introduces himself, he does it, doesn't he, with, with great authority. So he's saying to these folks, I have a right to write to you and you should listen to me because I am writing on assignment from my heavenly father, God. He describes Timothy here, do you see, as our brother, a term of, of great affection that we, we find Paul using with other people. Just a little test for you here at the beginning of our class. Can you think of other people in your Bible that, that Paul referred to as brother? Can you think of other people in your Bible that Paul referred to as brother? Let me answer the question. One of these that he referred to as brother is a man named Quartus, Quartus, who was in the church at Rome, and we read about him in Romans 16, verse 23. Another man that the apostle Paul referred to as brother was a man named Sosthenes, and we read of him in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, what do those first two have in common that I've mentioned? Paul referred to them as brother, and we know essentially nothing about them other than Paul referred to them as brother. But the third one in our Bible that he referenced as brother, we are familiar with, and his name is Apollos. And in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12, he is called there by the apostle He's called brother. It is good that we understand we are in God's church and the church is a family. And in this family, we have brothers. In this family, we have sisters. I am an only child. That is plainly obvious, I think, to anybody who knows me. And I think though, because I grew up without brothers and sisters, I do have an, a special appreciation for those that are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I value being a part of a big family like the Lord's church, and I hope you do also. So verse two, Paul writes these words, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. I mentioned in our introduction last week 
that this is a change in Paul's style of writing. Previously, when he would write a letter, he would usually address it to the church, to the congregation, to the assembly of people depending on the translation used, depending on the, the original Greek word that Paul is referencing there. But, but he, was, he was addressing uh, more than one person at a time in, in those earlier uh, greetings in these, these letters. But really from his writing of Romans and, and beyond, he begins to, to be more personal in, in his, his greetings. He's understanding even better as he matures that the church is, is a collective body of, of people. It is, it, is a, it is a family where we call each other brother. It, it is not just a, an organization as such, but it is, it is a unique organism created by God that is in some way similar to the, to the physical body that has individual members, individual parts. And each of these parts is significant. Each of these parts needs to be honored, needs to be valued because each of these parts is a blessing to all the other parts. And, and when we think of the Lord's church, we don't want to think of it obviously as a building with walls. We don't want to think of it as some cold, a group of people, some organization, but we want to we want to think of the church as individuals. This saint, this brother, that sister, this Christian, that disciple, this believer, that believer. We want to understand that that we are all together, of course, as parts of the body, but that we are individuals. That we are real people. And, and we're not the same. We have we have differences. We we have uh, different personalities. We have different attitudes about things. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different financial statuses. We have different sins, but we all have sins, and and we all are in this together. And I appreciate the way that Paul addresses these folks, not just as the collective group, but as individuals in. The group to the saints and faithful brethren, he says, that are in two dimensions. You notice two worlds in the world of Christ and in the world of Colossae. We do function, don't we, in two separate worlds, two separate realms. And it is interesting to me to consider that in this life we may go from place to place. Uh, think, think about the various communities and cities that, that you have lived. I have, I have lived in. East Bruton, I have lived in Bruton, I have lived in Irvington, I have lived in Mobile, I have lived in Park City, Kentucky, I have lived in Allsboro, Alabama, I have lived in Muscle Shoals for a brief period of time, I have lived in Florence, and now I live in Tuscumbia. And maybe you have lived in even more different places than I have, but no matter the place we live, if we're Christians, we're simultaneously living in Christ. The, the location that we're in, the, the geographical area that we call home might vary from time to time, but we are always, no matter where our bodies are, we're always in Jesus. And that is a very special and wonderful place to be. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he uses two wonderful words in the Christian language, the word grace 
and the word peace. And it is interesting to me, just after he said that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he uses this word grace. In a sense, his life is a definition of grace because God has given him this position in the church as apostle, as leader, a position that Paul did not deserve, but it is a position that was received by Paul as an unearnable treasure, as an unearnable prize. It's, it's grace that allows him to function as an apostle. It is grace that allows him to go throughout that part of the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also, as you know, are beneficiaries of the grace of God because of the gifts that we have received. We have not been receiving from God what we have earned or what we deserve. We've been receiving from God what we need and what we need is his amazing grace. So Paul says to these folks, grace to you. He's in a sense giving them a portion of what he has received from God. He says grace to you. And then the second great word of the Christian language, Christian religion, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes from God, but also peace comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is peace? Peace is the absence of conflict. I have seen on church signs, people will put something like, peace is not the absence of conflict, it is the presence of God. And that's one of those things that sounds good, but I'm not true. I'm not, I'm not sure it's true, I'm not sure it's scriptural. Peace is the absence of conflict, isn't it? It is us being able to live in harmony without conflict, without strife, with God, with ourselves, and with each other. And Christianity, as you know, is a religion that has as its core the pursuit of peace. It, it should be what we are all about. We need to be actively pursuing peace because we serve a God who is described as a God, not of confusion, but of peace. First Corinthians 14, 33 and following. Jesus is described in Isaiah 9, 6 as a Prince of Peace. And we as, as Christians, we obey a gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter six, verse 15. So he's extended to these people grace in this letter and also peace. It's what he has received from God. It's what we have received from God. And now it is what we try to extend to others. We want to be graceful to people and we want to be ministers of reconciliation. We want to be on our best behavior with each other. And we want to help other folks to be on their best behavior with other folks. We want to be the kind of people who are calming the water, who are making uh, relationships healthier and better between us and God, us and ourselves, but especially also between us and other people. And, and we want to be not about the business of building walls, but about the business of, of, of building bridges and, and making it easier for people to get along. We never want to be guilty of provoking people to have animosities or, or harsh feelings or harsh words towards one another. We, we should have calming influence. And if you're like me, sometimes we're guilty of, of taking the other path, 
of of, uh, of not contributing to to peace in people's hearts and people's lives and people's relationships. And when we find ourselves in those situations, we need to repent as quickly as possible, and and get ourselves on on the path that Jesus walked. He was a, a champion peacemaker. He was the kind of person who could help the the people that were so harsh to each other, so unkind. He, he was the kind of man, he was a kind of divine being, son of God, who could come and make it possible, make it achievable for the, for the Jew and the Gentile to get along, for the, the Samaritan, the outcast to fit in with these people, for the, for the slave and the slave owner to function together, for the, for the male in that society to get along with the female in that society, for those who had a lot to relate to and get along with those who had precious little. You think about, for example, the ones that he chose to be his apostles. Uh, he chose a diverse group. They had so many differences. The one thing they had in common was for most of the part, most of the time they were with Christ, they had a desire to follow him, but they had different uh, perspectives on things, they had different personalities, different occupations. One was, a, one was a thief. One was thought to be a thief as a tax collector. Some were less educated than others, uh, kind of crude fishermen by trade. Some seemed to have some financial resources and, and some didn't. Some to be better at leading, others better at following. Uh, you know, they, they, were, they were different folks. And, and you get those kinds of differences in the same room, in the same group, in the same place, and, and there, there can be combustion, there can be friction. But Christ, you see, he, he helped these people to get along with themselves, with, with the others in the group, and ultimately with their Heavenly Father. And, and we again want to, want to be like that. In the Lord's church, we're all different, different baggage, different sins that I mentioned earlier, different perspectives, different ways of viewing things. We, we have our preferences about translations, about even the length of a sermon. But uh, in Christ, you see, we get to be at peace with each other. We get to be at peace with our Father, and we get to be at peace with ourselves. So he extends to these wonderful people the gift of grace and the gift of peace. And then in verse 3, he has, a, he has a phrase that I truly love, and I hope you do too. It's a, it's a phrase that should be our biography. He says, we give thanks. We give thanks. He goes on to say other things, but we give thanks. That ought to be a great description of us and who we are and how we are. We are appreciative people. It's what we do. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Notice this, he says, praying always for you. And that's what we need to be. That's one of the things I, I like about pop so much, people of prayer. It's an opportunity for us to come together and pray for each other and with each other. We'll be doing that at nine o'clock tonight. I hope you'll be a part of that. Tomorrow night at seven o'clock, we'll be praying for every member of the Tuscumbia family of believers by name. And that's gonna take a while. And I hope you'll be a part of that. We'll be doing that on uh, this page, the Tuscumbia Church of Christ Facebook page. Tonight's People of Prayer session will happen on my Facebook page. But we are people who give thanks. We are people who are constantly praying for 
one another, right? And then he says in verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, he'd heard good things about these people. Remember from last week, we understood that Paul had never met these people. He had never been to their city. He did not establish the church but there, but he knew something of their reputation. He had heard of their faith in Jesus and their love for all the saints. What are people hearing about us? Hopefully they're hearing something similar, something of our faith in Christ and also of our love for all the saints. You notice here, there's a double commitment from we that are Christians. We, we love Jesus, we're faithful to him, but also we need to love his church. You can't just love Christ without loving the church. We can't just love the church without loving Christ. He is the head of the body. We can't decapitate, we can't take the head away from the body and just embrace the head. That doesn't work very well. And neither can we just focus on the body to the exclusion of the head. It is, if I may put it this way, a package deal. We, we love the head of the body and we love the body and we serve both to the best of our ability. Again, a double commitment, a commitment that will one day be well rewarded by our heavenly father. And even now, aren't we blessed by being people who can make a real and lasting commitment to Christ and to his church? So what are people hearing about us? hopefully the same kinds of things that Paul was hearing about the church here in Colossae. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Did, did you catch that here that he uses three words that uh, are quite familiar to us from the writings of Paul? Again, three great words of the Christian religion. Earlier we talked about the words peace and grace. Now he uses three more. He uses the word faith, love, and hope. Your faith, your love, because of the hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love. He uses these three words many times in his writing. For example, he mentions these three words, faith, hope, and love in Romans 5, 1 to 5, Galatians 5, 5 and 6, Ephesians 1, 15, and chapter 4, 2 through 5 of Ephesians, also 1 Thessalonians 1, and then 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, and then Philemon, verse 5, and then of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? And and so these are, these are like a, a triad, uh, a triad of uh, of importance. It's like they're, they're three mountaintops of, of what we're to be about. We're to be people of love. We're to be people of faith. And we are to be people of hope. And when we are people of Jesus, we will be people of faith, hope, and love. By the way, today we have hope in the next life that hope will be realized. I'm hoping for heaven. I'm hoping for a place of no tears. I'm hoping to see mom again in this life. In heaven, I'll be in that place of no tears. I'll be in heaven. I'll be with mom. I'll be with the best of the best that I'm, that I'm hoping for now. Hope becomes reality if we continue to live the Christian life. Three great words. And then he mentions here the truth of the gospel. As we will see through chapter one and, and the rest of Colossians in our study, we'll see several things about the gospel. First, we'll see that it really is good news. Second, we'll see that it is the truth. And 
Third, we will see that the gospel is universal. It is intended for all people everywhere. Fourth, we will see that the gospel truly is productive. When the seed is planted, it does bring good fruit. And then number five, we'll understand from our study of Colossians that the gospel is telling us about the amazing grace of our heavenly father. And then number six, we'll see in Colossians about the gospel that it is humanly transmitted. It is not from God to people, so much as it is from God to the Bible, to people, and it is transmitted person to person, right? How, how is someone gonna hear about Christ? We, we take them the gospel. We, we, we take them the message. Now, there will be some that'll find a Bible and discover the gospel on their own, but we've been commissioned by Christ to go into all the world doing what? Preaching the gospel to every creature. And in the original, the idea is not that I need to get a passport and go to Ukraine to do this, although that's a great thing, that I need to, as I go, wherever it is I go, whether I go to Walmart or whether I go to the bank or whether I go to the ballpark or school, I'm to go putting in a good word for Jesus. Again, that's that's just a part of our life. It's a part of our life. It's, it's, it's like breathing for us, telling people about Jesus, spreading the gospel of Christ to as many people as we possibly can. Again, just like Epaphras did here to the to the church at, at Colossae. It'll take about five more minutes of our study, maybe even less because my battery is about to die on this computer. I'm not sure why it's going away so quickly, but if I just suddenly disappear, you'll know what happened. And I would encourage you, please hit the share button. Please be sure to uh, join us later tonight at nine o'clock for our time of prayer. So we see in verse six, which has come to you, speaking of the gospel, as it has also in all the world and is bringing fruit gospel is productive as it is all you since the day you heard and knew the grace of god in truth and you also learned from me Epaphras, gospel is passed from human to human not from angel to human Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister wouldn't you like to meet a fellow like Epaphras? he is dear he is a fellow servant. he is a faithful minister of christ on your behalf so he's a selfless person who also declared to us your love in the spirit. He says good things about people. He goes back to Paul and says, these people are full of love in the spirit. Verse nine, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's stop there. He is concerned, not just that they know what to do, but that their walk matches their talk, their, 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 their behavior matches what instruction they received from Paul and from the word of God, right? He wants to make sure that they're not masters of theology and, and failures at living, as someone might put it. We don't want to be masters of theology and failures at living. We want to we want to know the word and we want to be sure that we do the word. We we most all of us we know 
how to live our lives. We know how to treat people. We know how to talk. We know how to think. We know how to worship. We know how to give. We know how to serve. It's not so much information that we, we need as much as it is, at least at times, inspiration to actually do what we know to do. Mark Twain had a friend told that uh, that wanted to, before he had go to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. That was some kind of special wish of his, and, and he would often repeat it to Mr. Twain. And on one occasion, uh, Mark Twain said to his friend, instead of going there to view the place where the where the tablets, where the, the Ten Commandments were delivered, man, why not stay here and observe the commandments? Some good wisdom there. It is important that we know the commandments, certainly. But it is even more important that we do the commandments. Do we know the truth? Yes, we do. Do we live the truth? Do we practice the truth? Yes, we do. Right? And that's the more important of the two. It's not the knowing as much as it is the doing. Am I in any way minimizing the importance of knowing? Absolutely not. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay, so knowledge is critically important. It'd be a wasted life to have a lot of enthusiasm with a lack of knowledge. We want to marry knowledge with doing, knowledge with living the kind of life that we know we should be living. Okay, that is a significant portion of Colossians chapter one. Please come back and study the remainder of Colossians chapter one and possibly some portions of Colossians chapter two next Wednesday evening at 6.30. I hope soon that we shall be studying Colossians and other books of our Bible in Bible classrooms such as this. I hope we'll be in a church building soon. But if not, we'll continue to study in this fashion, and I'm sure we'll be blessed by these gatherings. I know I have been. So thank you for coming on board this evening. Thank you for sharing this lesson with others. I love you, and I'm praying for you as I hope you are also praying for me. And if I can do anything for you, if our church can, please reach out to us and give us that opportunity. And have a good night.